McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Hamburglar, the time is yours. Bravo, bravo. He said, these are McDonald's best burgers ever. And then, can I keep them? And then he just grabbed them and ran away. Brobble. Now get a Big Mac or double cheeseburger for two bucks in the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Must opt into rewards. Visit McD app for details. Available at most restaurants in this area. Comparison of McDonald's classic burgers to prior burgers. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Episode 462. I am your host, Paul Garcia of ProjectSpurs.com, and joining me this evening, which is Wednesday evening, is our own Project Spurs writer, John Diaz. John, how are you doing, man? Good. I'm, I'm glad it only took 461 episodes to get me on, so thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I, I know. I just got the, the keys to this, uh, this so-called uh, podcast car recently so um yeah man i definitely want to have you on um this definitely will not be your last time you're on it's not going to be it's not going to take 400 episodes for you to come on you can trust me on that Uh, it's okay i'll just blame mike for it he knows (laughs) yeah could just blame mike on that all right so uh, spurs cast listeners thank you for checking in to episode 462 john and i have a have a big agenda to go over today we're going to go over just um the nba over under um the contenders in the western conference mainly just focusing on playoff teams who we think are going to be in the playoff run uh, they're going to compete against the Spurs. We're just going to give our actual uh, preseason early playoff predictions, as just as far as what are the seedings one through eight, um, and then also just taking a quick look at the the elite player uh, teams in the East. Uh, I'm going to ask John just a quick um, question about the storyline he's storyline he's looking forward to for the Spurs, and then you all um, Spurs fans, thank you all for on Twitter for using the hashtag SpursCast. You all send us a lot of questions, over ten of them, so we're going to get to those questions in detail. Um, and that'll pretty much wrap up the show. So we're going to go to begin with the contenders and Western Conference over-unders. So, John, the way this is going to work is I'm going to go through each team, um, how Vegas kind of had them set out. Uh, one through, We're basically going to talk about the first 12 because those are the teams I think are in the playoff picture. And I will just tell you the number of wins. You kind of give me – I'm going to give you the roster, their makeup, and then you give me basically what, you, what you're over-under and what you're looking forward to. Does that, does that sound good, man? Sounds good to me. Okay, so let's go to begin with the obvious team uh, who's supposed to finish number one, which is the Golden State Warriors, the defending champions. Uh, Vegas has them slated to win 67 and a half games. Um, that's their over-under. 
I'm just going to provide a quick makeup of their roster. Just they're they're basically their ten guys who they're going to have on their team that are their 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 core guys. Okay, so at the at the one you got Stephen Curry, the two you got Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Zaza Pachulia is probably still their starting center. Off the bench you got Sean Livingston, Patrick McCaw, Nick Young, Andre Godala, Omri Caspi, uh, David West, and then probably uh, Javale McGee. Um, is in that mix. So, John, uh, with the Warriors, what do you what are you looking forward to? Um, do you think it's a, do you think they go over or under that win total? Uh, that team doesn't sound too great, you know. It, it's not stacked <laughs> top to bottom at all. Um, Sixty seven and a half, you know. It could be. It's really easy to see that team win seventy again. But I feel like three straight postseason appearances, you know, going all the way to the finals, those miles have to catch up to them eventually. I would be safe if I was a gambling man. I'd be safe and avoid it completely. If I had to pick, I would probably go under without any major confidence behind it. I'd probably be right at 66, 67 wins. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I hear that part about you. I think Kerr's definitely going to be a little bit more um, as far as like preserving his guys' minutes, uh, not, not going for any kind of records like you mentioned. But I just think getting some of those additions like Nick Young, um, Omri Caspi, they've just pretty much added more talent. Uh, that, that kid from Summer League who was really good, Jordan Bell, a lot of people were talking about him as well so like even when they rest some of their guys or just don't play them all those minutes they're still gonna have a really good squad out there i'm gonna actually take the over with them i I would just went through their entire season and out of like taking away like houston boston the spurs you know the really good teams um the Cavs, i I still only see them with 12 losses on the year so i'm I'm going with 70 and 12 for my warriors prediction so i'll go over um but we both agree they'll end up first probably right in the western conference oh yeah no doubt (laughs) (laughs) okay moving on to uh, the second team vegas has slated uh, in the west is uh the houston rockets you know they they obviously had a complete makeover this summer they added chris paul should be at their point guard you have james harden still you have trevor reza ryan anderson and clint capella is probably their starting five off the bench you have eric gordon still they added pj tucker uh, Luke Mbamute from the Clippers, um, Tariq Black, and then they still have Nene. And um, yeah, so so Houston, they're slated at 55 and a half wins. John, how do you feel about them over under? And ha- just give me your overall impression of that team. You know, they went 55 and 27 last season. And I, I don't want to discount how crucial Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams were to that team. But the backcourt of CP3 and Harden is just going to be just something otherworldly. So I'd go over with them. Taking the over. Yeah, same, same here for me. I'm going with the over. I just, you know, there's, you know, the teams that they basically pick players off from, like the Clippers, you know, they, they fell a little bit. They're stuck. And then there's a lot of teams in the East where they're just going to be nightly wins where they're automatic for Houston. So I really can't see them um, not getting over 55 wins here coming up. Okay, so now the team that most people are listening to to listen to, uh, which is obviously the Spurs, uh, they are slated to win 54 and a half games this season. They're over under. I'm going to just go through their quick roster makeup. Um, basically, DeJounte Murray is probably the assumed point guard just as of right now. Uh, at the one, Danny Green is coming off uh, as a shooting guard. you got Kawhi Leonard, small forward. LaMarcus Aldridge, power forward. And Pau Gasol as a center. Off the bench, you have Patty Mills. You have Manu Ginobili, uh, Rudy Gay, uh, Davis Bertans, and Joffrey Laverne. Then, of course, you have a guy like Brandon Paul, who's an unknown, which we're going to get more detailed into the Spurs roster later on in the show. But, John, how are you feeling on the Spurs as far as 54 and a half, uh, over or under? You know, it feels like Vegas always underestimates the Spurs, especially when it comes to over-unders. Um, but for some reason, 54 and a half doesn't seem too far off of, like, expectations because you don't know when Tony's coming back. You don't know at what percent he's coming back. You don't know what LaMarcus is going to be like. And they did lose a lot of crucial rotation pieces. I would still take the over just to be safe. 
this team sleepwalks to 60 wins somehow the last couple of years, and there's no reason why they can't do it again, especially with a motivated LaMarcus Powell coming off a strong Euro basket. They're poised to get close to 60. I agree with you, John. Um, you know, just what kind of what I mentioned with the Rockets, where I just feel like on paper they're going to walk into wins because of just a little bit of how much the talent at the bottom of the West fell, fell a little bit, and then also just in the East completely, like like some of those games, like against Indiana, Chicago, those those usual games where the Spurs might you know not be mo- um, you know mentally there, they're they're still probably just going to win it just by 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 the sheer talent that they have compared to some of those lower end teams. Um, so so yeah, so I, I mean we bo- we're both taking the over with the Spurs. Um, moving on, the fourth team expected to finish out West is the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're expected to win uh, 51 and a half games. Uh, just a, a quick makeup of their roster is their, their, their core 10 guys are Russell Westbrook at the point. You got Andre Robertson at the uh, two, probably, or three. You got Paul George now uh, at the three. You got Patrick Patterson. Then you have Steven Adams off the bench. You have Raymond Felton. They have Alex Abrina still. They have uh, Dougie McBuckets, Doug Mc, McDermott, Jer- Jeremy Grant, and then also Ennis Cantor. So they have a pretty complete team. How do you see them um, with the over-under in OKC? That, that's another team that I have going over. You know, Russell Westbrook willed them by himself to 47 wins last season. I don't think Paul George is only worth four wins. He's worth a lot more than that. You know, with the same thing with what we've talked about, like the talent towards the bottom of the West isn't that stacked. And you've got you know, 15 teams out East that you can pretty much walk through. Not 15, but, you know, there, there's 15 teams out there that are pretty easy to handle outside of Boston and Cleveland, Toronto, and, you know, whoever you want to put in in that fourth spot, like Milwaukee. So I have them going over 51 and a half. Okay, so, yeah, we, I, I, I'm, I'm with you as well. I just think that, the you know, just he's not obviously Kevin Durant, but Paul George is, an, is a really good player, an elite talent, and giving uh, providing Westbrook with him on, on, on the opposite wing. And then just their defensive ability, if they really lock in, they have a really crazy length with Robertson, George, Patterson, Westbrook all out there. Um, they, they should definitely get over that, that those 52 wins right there at 51 and a half. Mm-hmm. Moving on, the fifth team expected to finish out West is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're up. They're up to a forty and a half wins. Is there over under? Just a quick makeup of the roster. They have Jeff Teague, who they signed in the offseason. They acquired Jimmy Butler through the trade. They have Andrew Wiggins. They um, they signed Taj Gibson. They added. They still have Carl Anthony Towns. Off the their bench is a little bit um, more of a question mark. So they have Tyus Jones, uh, Jamal Crawford, who from, from the Clippers. Um, Shabazz Muhammad just resigned there. They have Gorgie Jangso and Nemanja Bielitsa, and then also Cole Audrick. So John, how are you feeling with the Wolves at forty and a half wins? Uh, that's insanity. I, <laughs> you know, we this was a team that was kind of pegged to you know, be bottom of the eight, you know, eighth or seventh seed last season, and they kind of whimpered out with thirty one wins. To put them close to fifty just because they added Jimmy Butler seems insane. So that's that's definitely an under. You're taking the under. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one. Yeah. No. 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 I. I. I let me see here. I had put the over actually. So why did I do that? Yeah. I, I mean, I. I just feel like, like again, on paper, they're going to win a lot of those games. I know that last year was definitely a disappointment. We kind of, a lot of us thought that they'd walk in with Tibbs and that defensive backbone mentality that he has as a coach that they would they would incorporate that and they really had trouble. But I just feel like a guy like Butler, who's a veteran, uh, Teague knows how to run a team. A lot of these guys, Taj Gibson, these are hard nosed guys who aren't going to let the young players like kind of slip a little bit. So I, I can see them get, getting to maybe fifty one, fifty two wins at, at best. That's why that's why I took the over since it's only at forty eight and a half. Moving sixth uh, is the Denver Nuggets, who are slated to win 40, 45 and a half games. Just a quick uh, makeup of their roster. 
at point that's kind of it's kind of a question mark right now they have jamal murray is what i would think or even jameer nelson both of them kind of play down the stretch to start at point you have gary harris young young um young young player who's really developing uh wilson chandler at the three paul Millsap was a big signing for them an all-star player and then of course they have nikola Jokic off the bench again it's either murray or nelson uh they have will barton trey lyles uh, Kenneth Fareed or, or Juan Hernan Gomez, and then of course Mason Plumley, who they just recently re-signed. So, John, with Denver at forty-five and a half wins, what do you think about them? You know, they won forty last year with Jokic, and that team, if I remember right, had the worst defensive rating in the NBA. You add someone like Millsap right next to him, and that kind of solidifies the interior. So, I'm definitely going to go over with forty-five and a half. I was I was struggling with this one. Um, I mean, outside of like the two names, which are Jokic and Millsap, I, I just they have a lot of injury history with some of those guys. Like uh, Harris has been uh, banged up over the years. Uh, Wilson Chandler for sure. Uh, and then the point guard spot, I'm just not sold yet. Of if, if you know, it's it's bad that you don't know exactly who your point guard is going into training camp. So for me, I'm taking the under, just barely. You know, I I could see 45, 44, but you, you might be right. I mean, you, like how you just mentioned that last stat. Now that they just got an all star guy who just basically carried Atlanta last year in Millsap, that that could push them with the over. Going to the seventh team is the Los Angeles Clippers. They're expected to win forty four and a half games this coming season in a season where in an off season where they lost Chris Paul to, due to trade. So their their roster makeup they have Patrick Beverly at the one, um, Austin Rivers or Lou Williams at the two, uh, Danilo Gallinari at the three, Blake Griffin at the four, DeAndre Jordan at the five. Off the bench, they have Milos Teodosic from overseas. Um, again, Rivers or Lou Williams coming as a two. Wesley Johnson at the three. Uh, Montrezl Harrell at the four. And then and then Willie Reed at the five. So, John, the Clippers at 44 and a half wins. What do you think about them? Uh, I have them under. Just, just a tad under just because there's an injury history with Blake Griffin, with Pat Beverly, with, you know, Sam Decker, with Gallo. But... You know, Pat, Patrick Beverly and Milos coming in to replace Chris Paul, it's not ideal, but it's a lot better than a lot of teams would have fared losing their all-star point guard that just controls every aspect of that team. Yeah, I'm also going under as well, just because of the, like you mentioned, the injury, you know, the, the, the injury-prone players they have, like Blake especially. We, we actually don't even know if he's going to come into training camp ready to go to start the season. Uh, and then their spacing-wise, you know, I really like Beverly. I like I like. um Rivers and Williams as players, but like individually what they can do. But as far as like a team concept, it's kind of hard when, when you know, losing Reddick, a guy who can really spread the floor for you. So, so there's some question marks there with them. So I'm going to take the under as well. Moving on to the eighth seed in the West, uh, it's expected to be the Portland Trailblazers at 42 and a half wins. The Blazers pretty much have most of their squad from last season, but they did they did lose a, a player in um, Alan Crabb by trade for for financial purposes. So they have Damian Lillard at the one, CJ McCollum at the two, Mo Harkless at the three, uh, Noah Vonley or Caleb Swanigan or Ed Davis should I say at the at the four, uh, Yusuf Nurkic at the five, and then off the bench, you know, there's a question mark there. You got Shabazz Napier as their point guard, uh, Pat Connaughton. As their backup wing, um, Evan Turner still, Al Farouk Aminu, and then, um, as I mentioned, Swanigan and Myers Leonard. So, John, uh, Portland at 42 and a half wins. What do you think about them? I, I think they're just a tad under also. You know, they went 41 and 41 last season, and Caleb Swanigan is, and, you know, losing Alan Crabb, that's not really, it's not going to benefit them, and it's not going to be detrimental too much. So I feel like that's another 41-win team, maybe 40, unless, you know, that that team's in salary cap hell, like I like to say, unless they can try to get out of it by getting back in it with, you know, trading for Mello. I don't see them getting past, you know, 40, 41 wins. 
Yeah, I, I took I, I actually took a slight over only because like I'm, it's forty two and a half, and I took maybe forty three, forty four only because of this reason. Uh, the, the trio of, of Nurkic, McCollum, and Lillard really did well down the, down the stretch uh, to end the year. I looked at their winning percentage after the All Star break, and it was like at sixty nine percent. And I know a lot of teams, you know, some of those wins don't really count because a lot of teams are getting ready to go home. They're they're tanking to get the better draft pick and stuff like that. But I feel like that's that's a key three that you can kind of rely on. But yeah, you're right. We'll see. We'll see what happens with the Allen Crab situation. And of course, if if they do acquire Melo, I can I can see that that win total going up. Um, you know, as, as the season goes along, we're going to continue going into the ninth area, which is the Utah Jazz, because these guys are kind of on the bubble. Um, they had a they had pretty had a pretty hefty off season, losing Gordon Hayward um, and also changing the makeup of their team a little bit. Utah is slated to win forty and a half games, forty point five. Uh, their their core makeup right now is Ricky Rubio at the point, uh, Joe Ingles or Alec Burks at the two. Rodney Hood um, at the three, Derek Favors at the four, Rudy Gobert at the five. Off the bench, they still got Dante Exum. They have Ingles or Burke. Even that kid, Donovan Mitchell, played very well at Summer League. He was one of the talks of, of Vegas. Uh, they have Joe Johnson, Dabo Sevalosha, who they brought over. Uh, Jonas Yurepko from Boston they brought over. And then, of course, uh, Ekbe Udo from the EuroLeague. Um, so, so what do you think about, about Utah, John, with the 40 and a half wins? I think Utah's right there. I, I would probably go under just because you don't know what you're getting yet with Donovan Mitchell. You don't know if he's going to replace Gordon Hayward's offensive production. It's going to be really hard for him to do outside of the, you know, coming out of the gate. Uh, and the loss of George Hill and Boris Diaw to an extent, you know, that's going to hurt them also. But Rudy Gobert is the soul of that team. As long as he's healthy and as long as he can still be the stifle tower, I think they're still primed to challenge Portland for that eighth spot. Yeah, I, I I was going back and forth with this one as well. I'm going to take the uh, the under just because I feel like it's not the defense. There's still going to be a really good defensive team. They have really good athletes and and players and length. It's going to be the offense. I just don't, you know, it was a, it was actually a struggle for them with Gordon to score on nights and the, and the plus they had George Hill. But now like you know, Ricky Rubio's not really a scorer. He's not a guy who spaces the floor. Um, you know, Ingles shot well from three, but then you know Alec Burks has a lot of injury history. Like you said, we don't know if Donovan Mitchell's going to be ready. Um, and then their their wings like they're not known as. Joe Johnson's kind of past his prime. Rodney Hood could get there. We'll see. And then Favors is, again, a guy who's always injury prone. So I'm going to take the under uh, with Utah at 40 and a half. Moving over to 10th, uh, we have New Orleans Pelicans, who are a Spurs division rival out in the Southwest division. They're slated to win 39 and a half games. Uh, their roster makeup is very interesting. They have uh, Rajon Rondo now is, is expected to start at the point. Uh, Drew Holiday is expected to play the two in that system. Um, they're going to re-sign Dante Cunningham probably at the three. You have Anthony Davis at the four and De- DeMarcus Cousins at the five. Off the bench, they brought in Ian Clark from the Warriors. They added Tony Allen from the Memphis Grizzlies, and they still have Etwan Moore. Um, their backup three, Darius Miller, might be the guy who plays because Solomon Hill is injured to start the year. Uh, they have Czech Diallo, and then they have uh, Omer Ashik or Alex, uh, Alexis Ajinsa, but neither of those guys usually play. So, John, New Orleans at 39 and a half wins. What do you think, man? That seems really high for a team that won 34, you know, 34 games last season with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. I, I honestly don't know what to make of that team, especially with Rondo now. It, they're interesting, and you know they're going to have nights where they look really great, but Rondo's been a shell of himself, and you still don't know exactly how DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis are going to really work out together, which is strange to say, like, after being half a season together. Uh, yeah, that, I feel like that's under. I feel like they went really high with that just because of the star power. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's not that for me. I think the Davis and, and Boogie relationship can work. They're, they're they're dynamic on the court. For me, it's just the, the the rest of the makeup of the team. You know, their 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 point guard situation. Clark's a good shooter, but then he's not a guy who can run like orchestrate an offense. Then you have Rondo, who's not a shooter at all, and and you know, just you know, we don't know which Rondo we're going to get night to night. You got Tony Allen. Guys are going to leave him wide open. So I just feel like the rest of the roster, and then at the three, I mean, these are literally their, their players at the three. You have Dante Cunningham, Darius Miller, Martel Webster, and Solomon Hill. So like. There's, there's just the rest of their, 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 their depth is just not there is from what I see. So I'm going under. And they don't even have uh, Hollis Thompson, who they grabbed from the Austin Spurs. If I remember correctly, Hollis Thompson went to Europe and he's supposed to be one of those sharp shooting wings and they let him go for nothing. Yeah, that's that's true. He did he did sign overseas, so yeah, yeah, like you're saying, like I mean, honestly, there's not a lot of shooting on that floor outside of like Etwan Moore and Ian Clark. I mean, from the wing positions and, and the guard. Uh, so I'm going under as well for, for the Pelicans. The next team, 11th, is uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. They're expected to win 37 and a half games. They also had a little bit of um, a few of their core guys leave over the summer. So, th- so their team right now is um, slated to be Mike Conley at the one, uh, probably Tyreek Evans at the two, Chandler Parsons, if he's healthy, at the three, uh, Jamichael Green, we're assuming he's probably going to get re-signed. That still hasn't happened, though. He's still a free agent um, on that qualifying offer. Uh, and then Marcus saw at the five off the bench. You still have Andrew Harrison. They have Troy Daniels uh, or Ben McLemore. Once he gets once he gets healthy, he, he's going to be um, healthy there. They have James Ennis, the third who Spurs fans saw in the playoffs against the Spurs. And then uh, uh, Ivan Rab. They just signed their, one of their picks and, and Brandon Wright or Jarrell Martin to play the five. So John, uh, Memphis, you know, losing Zebo and, and Vince Carter. What do you think about them at thirty-seven and a half wins? Thirty-seven and a half is doable. I think they could get to thirty-eight, thirty-nine, just because of their style of play. They grit and grind you like crazy, and just because of that style of play, they can luck into wins on those nights if they force you into a bad offensive showing. Uh, I would still take the under, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take the, just because it's 37 half, it's really low. I'm going to, I would take the over maybe like 38, 39, only because of the, those two guys, um, Marcus on and Mike Conley. I just feel like, you know, you're going to get a, a winning nights out of those guys and they can really carry your, your team, whether, you know, Memphis already has trouble scoring, but those those are two guys that just the rest of the league knows to, to that those guys, you can pencil in some wins for them. Uh, John, the last team, oh, go ahead. It, it'll be interesting to see if Marcus all even still there come, you know, trade deadline though. There's already those little rumbles and whispers and that's all you need to start a fire. And who knows, Mike Conley could be by himself with Jamichael Green and they could turn into a rebuild team really fast. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And actually going saying that about Marcus Saul, I would actually go back to New Orleans as well, another Spurs um, you know, um in conference rival. Uh, with their situation with Boogie, you know, if if they start showing like a, you know a, ne- a negative t- uh, type of output early in the season, they might try to move him because he's going to be a free agent coming up. So I think yeah, that's a good point to look out in the Southwest Division is Marcus Saw and Demarcus Cousins. Should those teams kind of go the wrong way if those guys get put on the trade block? Uh, John, the last team we're going to look at in the West is the Dallas Mavericks again because these are just teams that we think might have a chance of maybe the playoffs. So so their roster they're they're expected to win 30, 35 and a half games. Uh, their roster makeup is um, Yogi Ferrell for now at the one, or it could be Dennis Smith if he beats him out in camp. Uh, Wesley Matthews at the two, Harrison Barnes at the three, uh, Dirk at the four, and Nerlens and Well at the five. Off the bench, again, you have Ferrell or Dennis Smith at the one, or J.J. Barea is there too. Uh, Seth Curry at the two, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith at the three, Josh McRoberts um, or Maxi Kleber, who's, a, I mean, keep keep clever, yeah, who's a new German player, and a Dwight Powell off the bench. So Dallas at 35 and a half wins, John, what do you think? Yeah, they won 33 last year. They at, you know, they draft Dennis Smith and I absolutely love the offensive firepower on that team. Just between Yogi Ferrell, Seth Curry, Wes Matthews, Harrison Barnes, Dirk, Dennis, 
and you know Rick Carlisle is still there. Plus, you get Noel back. I think that team's going over for sure. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I think I think that's that's definitely an over. Maybe thirty-seven, thirty-eight. You know, especially that they're going to beat some of those some of the weaker teams in the in the league. But then some of the teams that just don't get up for that matchup, some of the, the elite teams, they, that, that that's a team can, that can come in very focused and really um, put a, put a loss in them. So the teams that I'm leaving out of this discussion were the were the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, Phoenix Suns, and Sacramento Kings. All those teams were are expected to to to, to only win um, less than thirty-three um, of their games. Okay, so now um, we're just going to quickly shift over to the East. We're just going to look at the top four teams out East from, from um, Vegas' side. Uh, number one should be the Boston Celtics with uh, 54 and a half wins for them. So, so they obviously had a, a big makeover over the summer. Um, they added Kyrie Irving via trade, um, who was an all-star. They have uh, Jason Tatum or you know Gordon Hayward at the two or three, which uh, Tatum they drafted, Gordon Hayward they signed in free agency. They have Marcus Morris now probably at the four, and Al Horford at the five. Off the bench, they have Marcus Smart, uh, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, uh, Gershon Yabusile, if he plays, and then Aaron Baines, a former Spurs. So, John, what do you think about Boston? 54 and a half wins after winning the the number one spot in the East last year. I I will say don't underestimate the loss of Jay Crowder. They were 11 and a half points better per uh, 100 possessions with him on the floor. That being said, you know, 53 and 29 last season, and then you set the over-under at 54 and a half, you add someone like Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, I would safely take the over. Yeah, I'm with you there, man. It's just, you know, having Kyrie and, and, and Hayward together, plus, you know, Horford there still, and then, you know, whatever happens with Tatum and, and Smart still there as well. That's just that's just like automatic wins, especially in the East, where a lot of teams, like, like I mentioned earlier, Chicago, um, who, who was it? Uh, the Knicks, probably the Nets, you know, Atlanta, those teams just fell off the map. And so now Indiana, yeah, the Pacers, those teams that were, that were like kind of close to the playoff race last year, uh, those teams fell off. So those are just automatic wins for Boston. So I can definitely uh, see them going over. Moving over to the, to the Cavs now, they're expected to win 53 and a half games. Uh, their roster makeup is Isaiah Thomas at, at the one. Again, we don't know if he's probably, he's probably not going to start the season, uh, at the two, you got J.R. Smith still, LeBron James at the three, Kevin Love at the four, and Tristan Thompson at the five. Off the bench, you have Derrick Rose. They added, uh, I mean, they still have Amon Shumpert and Kyle Korver. They added Jay, Crow- uh, Jay Crowder, like you mentioned. And a kid who I'm really looking, interested to see play this year is Seti Osman from Turkey. They they also added Jeff Green in free agency, and they still have uh, um, Channing Fry. So, John, what do you think about the Cavs at 50, 53 and a half wins? Yeah, I really like what they did this offseason. Even though you don't want to lose someone like Kyrie, especially in the fashion that they did, I, I'm kind of intrigued by this team. I feel like they'll be a little bit better defensively, not by much, but enough to make a difference. And unless LeBron just completely falls off a cliff last season, like, you know, this year, which we, I seriously doubt, especially when you have opposing teams saying, hey, he's stronger and faster than he's ever been at this stage of his career, I, I think you could take the over with Cleveland. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if you have any kind of chemistry issues in Boston to start the season, Cleveland could easily win 60 games and be the number one seed. Yeah, I, th- I think both of those things are on the table. I'm, I'm, I agree with you with, with the Cavs as well. I'm going over. Despite the Isaiah situation, that's still a little tricky for me. But even, you know, as much as Derrick Rose is, is not the guy, you know, you, you want to be at this stage of his career handling the point guard duty, it's still it's still okay when you have LeBron on the other end of the floor to clean up a lot of your mistakes um, and things like that. So, I, yeah, I take the over with the Cavs as well. Looking at the Washington Wizards, they're uh, and, and actually the, the the Wizards and Raptors are both expected to win forty eight and a half games this coming year. Is there over under? I'm going to start with the Wizards though. Um, they have John Wall still at the, at the one. You have Bradley Beal at the two. Otto Porter Jr. at the three. 
um, Markeith Morris at the four, but there was a recent report, I think, that he's going to be, be missing some time. Uh, he has some sort of injury. I think it's a sports hernia is what I read online. Uh, and then you got Gortat at the five off the bench. They still have um, Sadoransky, Thomas Sadoransky. Also, they, they acquired Tim Frazier. They have Jody Meeks, who they signed in the offseason. They still have Kelly Oubre. Um, they added Mike Scott, and then they still have Jan Mahinami, former Spur. So, John, what do you think about the, the Wizards with 48 and a half wins? That, that bench really makes me cringe, but the fact that that's, their starting lineup is so good and they won 49 games last year, plus with the talent drop-off towards the bottom tier of the East, I would take the over, not confidently, but I still feel like that team can get 50 wins pretty easily. Yeah, I'm in the I'm in that camp as well. I'm going like 51, 52 at, at most, you know, at best. I mean, um, yeah, just because like, like you mentioned, the, the talent level down at the bottom of the East has just dropped. Moving to, to Toronto, they're, they're expected to win 40 and a half games. Uh, their roster makeup, they still have Kyle Lowry. They have De- DeMar DeRozan at the two. They got they, they acquired um, C.J. Miles. I think it was in a sign-and-trade for Corey Joseph. So they added C.J. Miles at the three. They um, they still have – they re-signed Serge Ibaka, and they have a Jonas Valanciunas still. At the backup spots, they have DeLon Wright, um, Norman Powell. They also added K.J. McDaniels. He's on a, he's on a, a camp invite kind of deal. Uh, this kid, Bruno Caboclo. Um, should be should be developing now. Um, they still have Pascal Siakam, and then they have Lucas Norguera. So, John, what do you think about the Raptors with 48 and a half wins? I, I would go over, and I would go right at 50. Um, you know, I think Kyle Lowry's age is going to start creeping up on him. He's on the wrong side of 30 already, but that team is really solid. To, to go 51 and 31 like they did last year, even though they lost to Mari Carroll and Kojo, I think that's still a 51 team just because of the same things like the, the talent disparity in the East from the top tier to the bottom is just insane. So Toronto can really get to that 50 win mark pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I would say that as well. I mean, I, I, as far as like going, I, I go over 50, 51 at, at best. And and the reason why is because I just think in that, in the, in, you know, with the East losing its power down at the bottom, I feel like this is going to give those young guys on their, on their roster, DeLon Wright, uh, Norman Powell, Caboclo, um, um, OG, a new, a new boy, if, if he plays, um, and some of those those younger players some time to develop and really get more consistent minutes so that way they're, they're a little bit more ready uh, come playoff time should they have to play. Now, this part really wasn't in our discussion, John, but I just wanted to ask you, do you think either Milwaukee or Miami could creep up into those top four, take one of those spots? Uh, I think Milwaukee definitely. I, I would like to see, you know, I, I'm intrigued with Miami just because of Bam Adebayo uh, and Kelly Olenek is, is a good good addition as well. And the, the pace that they set was insane to to come back once they were fully healthy and to match the Warriors. It was like a money ball of, of Warriors basketball. But, you know, they've the way they tailed off those last 15 games, it kind of gives you pause and you want to go in there and see, okay, you've got Hassan Whiteside. Dragic played amazing in Eurobasket. Mm-hmm. And to add on bio, you know, I think Miami's can creep in there just on co- on coaching by itself. But if... Jabari Parker comes back and he's healthy. I think Milwaukee is definitely going to sneak into that top four. Yeah, and both teams aren't too far away. Milwaukee's actually almost right there, neck and neck with the Washington and Toronto. They're expected to win 47 and a half games. They're over under. And then Miami's a little bit further down at 43 and a half. But those are pretty much like the six teams in the East that we're, that we're thinking. I don't think anyone else, unless Philly has like a, a magnificent season, uh, they would probably be the ones that would be, be like the Cinderella's. Okay, so now Spurs, uh, Spurs fans, um, Spurs cast listeners. We're going to shift over to just our, our kind of our playoff predictions on paper. Obviously, we haven't seen any training camps have, have not begun. There hasn't been any kind of preseason games. These are just our early predictions based on roster makeup as of now. 
you know, as of where these teams, uh, the, where we expect these teams to finish. Uh, John, go ahead and give us your top eight in, in the West in order, how you think they're going to finish for just, just for the regular season. Uh, top eight in the West, I'd go Golden State, number one, obviously. I think Houston would end up number two just by a hair over San Antonio. Uh, so Spurs three, Thunder four, and I, I've got Minnesota making a good leap to five, you know, even though they finished 13th last season. And I still think that over-under is ridiculously high. I, they're still a playoff team. There, there's no doubt about that. Uh, the, the Clippers at six, Nuggets at seven. And I put the Blazers at eight, but I'm not totally confident in that. I'll, I'll admit that right now, that the Blazers, just because of C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, I'd put them at eight. Okay, we were almost exactly the same, except for our, our last two spots here. So, um, Spurs, so John just provided his top eight. Uh, Spurs cast um, listeners, I was also almost right there with John with, with the first six. So I have Golden State, Houston, Spurs, Thunder, oh, Wolves, Clippers, and, and, um, and, and Clippers. I mean, I'm sorry, Wolves and Clippers. Now, seven and eight for me was a little bit different. I picked um, Portland seven. Just like I said earlier, I feel like you have something with Nurkic, um, McCollum, and Lillard, like a, like a big three that you can kind of count on a little bit. And with Denver, they're, they're, very, they're, they're still like a new team. And how I mentioned it, a lot of it rides on Jokic and um, Millsap's shoulders. And I was very hesitant. It was a little bit hard for the first time to actually leave out Memphis of this discussion. That, that was probably my, my biggest thing that I was, that I was um, working with in that 7-8 spot. Yeah, I, you know, I, I want to believe in Memphis. I honestly do. And I, I love David Fisdale, but I, I can't see them, you know, trying to ride Chandler Parsons into a playoff spot. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's a good question. I mean, that's a good um, that's a big concern for them coming up here uh, in the um, in the season for the, for the Grizz. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot to put on them. Okay, John. Now we're going to transition to uh, to just one of your one of the questions for you. Just you know, I, I obviously I've, I've spoken with um, Colin Reed. We had on the, on the Spurs cast. I spoke with Ben Bornstein. Um, but now that you're on the Spurs cast, I just want to ask you before the season kicks off here, um, pretty soon, less than a month. Uh, what storyline or storylines are you looking forward to with the Spurs coming up? You know, I, I feel like the, the point guard situation is something that everyone's kind of worried about. To me, it's more of a front court issue. You look at Powell's contract, and it seems kind of immovable, and I don't think the Spurs would want to move him. Plus, the rumors with LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, there's no avoiding that. And I kind of worry about the depth in the front court. You know, I know you've got Rudy Gay that can play the four, and he's probably going to have to play the four coming off that injury. That's It's going to you know zap some of that athleticism that he's so known for. Um, I, I kind of worry about the front court, but I'm also intrigued because it lets, you know, Davis Bertans kind of get a, a larger role. Um, and I, I feel like the Spurs small ball is going to be really interesting to see how they kind of work with all these different guards on the roster. Yeah, um, we're going to get a little bit more detail coming up now in these questions because a lot of that is actually exactly what you're talking about. They talk about the size of the front court. They talk about the point guard situation um, and then also some of the players as far as like where, where they stand in the, in the trade market and things like that. So let's go ahead and we're going to go ahead and go into the, the Twitter question part of this of this Spurs cast. So we asked you, the, the, the Spurs cast uh, listeners, to go on Twitter, use the hashtag Spurs cast and just send us a question, whatever was on your mind that you wanted us to address in this podcast. So the way this is going to work is I'm going to read your Twitter handle. Uh, read your question and then John you'll have the first um, response to that question then I'll give my response as well and then uh, there's gonna be 11 questions here that we're gonna get through so the first one comes from at invader slim Um, this this twitter follower says or asks how many years would you say pop has left in the tank and who will be his his successor John go ahead and take that first I I have my own sources on this and I feel like maybe pop has 
three years left in the tank. Uh, I, I don't want to divulge those sources, uh, but people will know pretty soon why I feel that way. Um, you know, I, I, I hate saying it's only three years because he has that commitment to Team USA, but I, I don't think Pop has that much time left. And not only that, but I think they kind of want to prime Ime for the, to be the successor. I, I would love to see uh, Messina take over, but I feel like Messina's going to be pretty a pretty hot commodity, just like every other Spurs assistant, you know, every offseason. Becky's the same way, but I feel like Ime is just right there waiting and ready to take, the, take on that challenge to succeed Pop. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a clear answer either. Um, you know, I, I, look, I did some research just because I, I saw the question beforehand, and I I looked at hoopshype.com. They had an article recently, I think it was in 2016, or not recently, a year ago, where they had Pop's contract going into the 2019 season, 2018-2019. So then I was looking at his age, you know, how old is he going to be? He'll be 70 years old by that time. And then I was looking at the roster makeup. You know, let me let me just tell you the ro- the players that should be on the roster at that time after the 2018 season, which is after... um. After uh, I mean, after the 2019 season, sorry. So just players on guaranteed contracts as of right now, it's literally one guy. It's uh, it's Patty Mills. Um, because here's the situation. Kawhi Leonard has a player option. We obviously think he'll probably, they'll probably give him that extension. He'll resign. Um, so Kawhi could be, you know, could be at, at age 28 um, in, in starting one of that, that new deal. Uh, Pau Gasol, they, they have a non-guaranteed for him. Uh, we don't know if they'll resign Tony Parker by then. Uh, Rudy Gay. Uh, they could resign him as well if he were to come back for a second season. They, then, they, of course, they'd have the young players like Derek White, uh, Dejounte Murray, if they kept those team options with those players. So, really, it's almost like the roster makeup. He he has a chance to either continue work, you know, staying with the program, or letting somebody else take over with Kawhi at age twenty eight, kind of taking taking the keys and running with Kawhi. And um, my take is, I, I think that those three names that you mentioned, you got Messina, who's still relatively young. He's only, he's only, I looked up his age, I think he's only 59, so he would be like 61 by this time if Pop did, you know, retire at that at that time at 70. Uh, then you have Yudoka and, and Hammond as well. But again, it's it's which coach is left. I think whichever one is left, they have the, the experience in the system and they're ready. Kawhi has a relationship with those coaches where I think that should he want to retire at 70, um, those would those would be the players. I mean, th- those would be the coaches. Yeah, and you know the the Spurs roster has maximum flexibility. Even though people really dislike the Powell contract, you know, going three more years and giving Manu two, but they're pretty much set up to be you know bare bones with Kawhi and Patty's still a movable contract, still a movable piece, and there's a lot of value in that contract. So it wouldn't be hard to shed all these different names and just completely rebuild and revamp around Kawhi. I know that's not what people want to hear, and they don't want to say, "Oh, we're going to waste Kawhi Leonard's prime," but you know that it's still best case scenario for that team, especially with a new coach and a whole new set of guys that that coach would probably want on his team. Yeah, and, and even if Pop were to stay, you know, maybe he signs a three after that that twenty nineteen deal. Maybe he signs like a three three year deal, works up to seventy three or seventy five, something like that. He still has Kawhi at age twenty eight to kind of build an entire new team around, or you know, like like you were mentioning, moving Patty's contract and basically starting over with Kawhi and seeing what what kind of pieces does he need by his side. You know, what kind of players Kawhi by that time. Okay, our next question comes from at Daniel W. And there's a bunch of numbers here, 516-44-580. I don't know if that's a phone number or something. Anyway, um, they ask, uh, who will be the starting point guard, Murray or Mills? Go ahead and take that, John. I feel like Mills is going to be the starting point guard out of the gate just to not throw Murray into the fire already, even though I know Pop already did it in the playoffs. But, you know, who knows with this Tony injury? And you don't throw you know, that contract at Patty and just have him as a six man off the bench. I feel like either way, 
I, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Pop just switched him in and out based on a gut feeling or whatever wine he had the night before. Uh, but <laughs> I, I would go Patty just as a safe bet to start the season at point guard. I feel like this more has to do with training camp in the preseason. You know, if, if Murray's really, you know, fumbling out the gates there, he's not getting the cohesion with the players. He's not getting them into their sets. Um, you know, if, if he's just showing not, not a lot of um, good good growth with that starting unit, I could definitely see Pop by, by opening night putting Patty in that starting role or vice versa. Let's say Murray does very well with that starting group. I think that he that's definitely his job then at that point. So I think that we really just have to watch the games. And, and um, you know, either one, uh, Colin and I actually spoke about this, and I think either player could be starting on opening night. Moving on, um, you have – there's a question from at Smiley, Smiley U7. Smiley U7. They ask – what will the rotation look like with Tony out and with all the new players? <laughs> Where do you want me to start? Like, you know, we can just probably throw a deck of cards out there with a bunch of names on it and figure it out. Um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by a, a lot of the guards. Like I said earlier, you know, Manu's pretty much a, a 20 minutes a game guy. And they signed so much talent at one and two that I would love to see all these guys get a shot and you know, have them play, you know, oh, good role players minutes. I seriously doubt that's going to happen, but, you know, I, I feel like you're going to see a lot of nights, especially early on, like if it, if they're playing against, you know, a Sacramento, why not throw Derek White into a six-man role? Why not throw Brandon Paul out there? But it'll be interesting to see, you know, come November, once the G League starts up, who's going to go down and who's going to stay up. Because there's, I, you know, I know Brent Forbes isn't guaranteed until I think it's January. Yeah, January 10th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, there's no guarantee he's going to stay here or be in Austin. You know, Brent still has a lot of development, uh, development to do, especially since they put him in a more, more of a point guard role in Austin with Murray running the two. So, you know, who knows how they want to use him. I, anyone's guess is as good as mine right now. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think plan A is to kind of keep the same type of um, rotation as far as like Patty or Murray starts at the one, uh, two, you got Danny and Manu, maybe Brandon Paul gets some, some minutes uh, at the three of Kawhi and then, you know, Kyle Anderson probably behind him uh, at the four. You have uh, uh, Aldridge and Rudy Gay. And then, of course, at the five, you have Powell and Laverne. But then also plan B could be, you know, do they just go small from the get-go with Rudy Gay at the four and LaMarcus at the five and then bringing Powell off the bench? Then it gets a little bit more interesting. But for now, I think that they'll just keep that very basic formation um, like we mentioned. Going on, Moving on to our fourth question, we, it's from at Spurs in the six. They ask, will Pau Gasol's strong play at Eurobasket translate into a fast start to the season for him? I, I sure hope so, you know, especially at his age. But I feel like, it it just gives him another level to go up to. You know, it's it'll start him on a, a decent pace to start the season, but he's not going to be any kind of focal point. And especially if Poppy decides to go small out the gate, like you said, putting him in that bench role with Manu, you, you Paul, uh, Paul might struggle a little bit to start off, you know, not getting as many touches or as many minutes. But I sure hope that the Eurobasket, you know, what he did in Eurobasket translates to the start of the season. Yeah, I think he'll be okay just because, one, it's the second year of the season. He comes in a little bit warm. Like you mentioned, he's in rhythm just playing at Eurobasket right now. He was, he was like one of their better players for Spain this past in that tournament where they got, um, where they got the bronze medal. And I, as long as he's starting, I think he's okay. He's got he's probably got some good chemistry. Kawhi knows where to find him in the corner when he runs the spread pick and roll. Um, you know he he knows he's not one of the, the guys who, who they're just going to post up. He's like a last. He's like one of like the fourth or fifth option if they need a post up from him. Uh, he's he's a really good passer. So I just feel like he's going to be more comfortable with his teammates on the floor. Maybe with Murray, he might have some some continuity issues and some of the younger players like like Derek White if he gets out there, or Brandon Paul, or even Laverne. 
But uh, I, either I think if he's honestly starting, he should be okay coming into coming off that row in Eurobasket. Usually, most Spurs players in their second year they're okay outside of Aldridge. Um, the fifth question comes from at Andrew Zimmel. <laughs> this is a weird one. He says, uh, or she, uh, you know, it's a he. So he says, uh, are we going to tank? And I'm, I don't like to say we. I just like to say, are the Spurs going to tank? Take that, John. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't be opposed to them tanking if they want to go get Michael Porter Jr. or any of these guys coming up in the 2018 draft. I'm, I'm blanking off the uh, Mohamed Bamba from Texas. You know, if they want to go ahead and tank and get one of those guys in here, I'm all for it. I'll take it. You know, they've won fi- enough 50 game seasons and. Why not? It, it would add some nice talent to the roster, and it'd be fun to have no expectations going into a season and getting frustrated with every loss. Yeah, I, I, you know, even if they wanted to tank, it's actually really hard with all those, like how we mentioned, all those bad teams now in the league. There's like almost 10, 10 teams that are trying to tank as well. So the chances still aren't very good if they're, if they're trying to tank. You know, it would have to be an extreme situation where, where their star guys got hurt, and that would be the only situation you'd ever see the Spurs try to tank. Uh, speaking of tanking, though, um, Spurs cast listeners, if you go out to ProjectSpurs.com, um, our, our guy Ben, ben Bornstein is writing a series right now of players that he feels the Spurs have no chance at in the draft. That, those are basically the lottery picks. So this is the complete opposite of this question so do check that out though of, of those names uh, john he actually mentioned some of those names um, in that piece moving on to our sixth question it comes from at giant steps uh they ask do you expect brandon paul to, to make the roster i'm gonna go ahead and answer this real quick he already made the roster it's on he's on a guaranteed contract unless he gets waived uh and also does he remind you of anyone recent so john what do you think about brandon paul he doesn't remind me of anyone, honestly. Like, you know, I, I feel like the best comparison was he's a shorter, more athletic, and a better shooting Simmons. That That's pretty much the, the biggest comparison you can get. Uh, obviously, he's going to make the roster, but I wouldn't discount him spending some time in Austin despite, you know, uh, Darren Hilliard, uh, Hilliard on that two-way contract and whoever else the Spurs add in training camp or with the G League draft coming up. There's still a good chance Brandon Paul spends a majority of time in Austin with some kind of development even if it's for just the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, the only guy that I, I just watched a little bit of film of him, but, you know, with with him coming from the EuroLeague, I couldn't get into like the, the 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 really good film stuff where I can like have with the NBA games where I have access to almost every play and possession. So what I saw was I saw like a no, this is I, I think I told Colin this. This is like I saw him like as a J.R. Smith type where he's like. He's athletic. He can he can run the pick and roll a little bit, ball handle, but he doesn't get to the rim where he wants to shoot the three a lot of the times. So that's kind of what I saw just off, off basic observations. He doesn't do you know the, the off court antics that Smith has, but as far as playing style, that's that's kind of what he reminded me of a little bit in watching him. Um, at Giant Steps had another question. They asked, um, they said Boris DL and David Lee were contributors to playoff teams last season. Why aren't they on NBA rosters now? Yeah, the narrative with the Spurs is that when the rest of the league zigs, the Spurs kind of zag. And I think that's the only reason you, you saw them go take a chance on a David Lee last season. You know, he's not an outside shooter at all. He's a solid rebounder. But, you know, what is he, 34, 35, you know, with yeah. that kind of a knee injury? It's hard to take a risk on that kind of a player, especially in this type of an NBA. You don't even know how he's going to get up and down on the court. Even with those uh, LeBron videos of them working out at Lifetime Fitness in LA and stuff. David Lee's guarding Joe Kim Noah, so I think that tells you everything you need to know about where he's at athletically in terms of this style of NBA. Um, for Boris Diaw, that's a little bit different to me. Uh, you know, I know he was kind of like a shell of his former self last season, but he was still really active and still a decent contributor in the playoffs. I just feel like with, with the salary he got last season 
and a lot of people don't want to disengage to Boris. You know, that that's always going to be his kind of legacy in the NBA is that if you can get a good, engaged, focused Boris, he's one of the best players on the team. But at this stage of his career and all the other ventures he's got going on, I think he's at a happy place, and I think the rest of the NBA is willing to let him go and be a mentor in France and, you know, bring up the next great generation of French basketball. Yeah, and for me, it was more of an overall with the league, with the cap situation, with you know, with the Warriors almost. I mean, it's almost like these these veteran players. They're not Boris and David aren't the only two guys who are who are unable to get jobs right now at you know at being veterans and who can still kind of play. It's just that teams kind of got to invest in the young players. You know, they, they'd rather, especially with like these these G League, I mean, these two way contracts now. There's just all these incentives more to to prioritize them, trying to develop somebody. You know, somebody like a Jonathan Simmons who you bring in a little bit younger and who ends up being some uh, you know be, being something real being a really good player in the NBA um, who you can kind of, you know, groom into something. So, you know, getting these veteran guys, I just feel like that that's that's not a way the league is going. Uh, Boris still has that chance again to um, come back. I think he has an NBA buyout uh, in March when that when that happens. And also David, you know, David's still a free agent. Maybe he will get picked up on a contender um, that that's still out there. But, yeah, I just feel like overall the, the league is trying to go toward uh, younger guys so they can kind of develop in a year or two to see if they can actually be a part of their program. Moving on to our eighth question, it's from um, at Aurora Deary or Diary. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, um, it says, "Just wondering, is it too late for a talented and gifted unknown to get a 2017 Spurs tryout?" So I'm assuming this is like a Jonathan Simmons situation. What do you think, John? It, you know, uh, the the Austin Spurs just had their tryouts. I think a day or two ago, and I I don't know what the results are. I don't know who they're going to bring on a board from that. You know, the last season it was Jeff Ledbetter who didn't even really play the first half of the season with Austin. And once, you know, a lot of the mainstays in Austin started filing out and going overseas with the playoff, like the playoff picture looking bleak, Ledbetter came off the bench and was just absolutely killing it. And he, he's a tremendous shooter. He's already 29, so you've already maxed out his potential. But I, I don't see any kind of guy like that in Austin going to help out outside of maybe, you know, I, I talked up Dar- uh, Darren Hilliard a lot, but... You know, you have to temper your expectations, and that guy's just not out there. If he was, someone would have already found him and signed him, obviously. Yeah, and, and I feel like it's almost like thinking about the, back to like the Simmons situation. It's like we would have seen we would have seen that guy on the, on the um, Vegas team, and you know, had he had a really good Vegas summer league, then he would have got invited to camp. So I don't think that situation's out there right now um, for those unknown players that aren't coming yeah, out of the draft and here. A lot of the, um, the better G League players already got picked up too with the two way contracts and undrafted free agents from this season. So you know. The Spurs, even though with all their scouting and the system they have in place, you know, teams now have the resources to catch up to them, which kind of hinders them a little bit. But it also lets them go deeper into trying to find the next role player, whoever it may be. Yeah. So um, moving on to our, our, our ninth question here. Um, it's from at Gamesta One. This one's worded a little bit different. So I'm going to read it the way it's written and then I'm going to try to interpret it. And then um, just just to ask you the question, John, it says, uh, is Greg Pop, Pop- Popovich also the cause of us not winning as well as winning with the way he throws games, overplays Danny Green and changes lineup? So I'm, I'm assuming uh, th- this follower is saying, um, you know, is Pop the reason why the Spurs don't win um, because he throws the games? Basically, I guess like in his coaching style um, by overplaying green and lineup changes. What do you think about that, John? I don't think that it hinders anything. I think what pop's done with that is saying, Hey, this is, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. If I can rest my core guys and try to find out what I have on my bench, it benefits the team long-term. It's probably why you had the Spurs getting to the Western conference finals with, without Kawhi and without Tony Parker. 
throwing those guys into real game situations, they're not going to get it any other time. Uh, I don't know the whole thing of overplaying Danny Green, um, but, you know, of course Danny Green's an easy target right now, and a lot of people want to trade his contract because it's so valuable, but at the same time, that's the reason he hasn't been traded. He is that valuable. Even with him being a streakier shooter than he was when he first came into the NBA, you know, those lineup changes are the reason why Danny has a job right now. If you don't give Danny that experience when he first comes in, he's not a starting shooting guard in the NBA. He's probably still toiling around in the G League and someone maybe comes and takes a flyer on him as a role player. Yeah, and my response is just, uh, you know, I, I looked up the stat real quick before we got we, we started recording. There are six active head coaches right now who have NBA championship rings as coaches. Pop, um, Tyron Liu, um, Eric Spolstra, Steve Kerr, Doc, and Carlisle. Pop has five rings, and the closest coaches to him are Spo and Kerr with two each. So, I mean, it's hard to question a guy who has five rings, who's been in this business this long, winning this many seasons, you know, over, I think it was like 19 or 20 seasons of 50 wins. As far as Danny Green goes, you know, Pop doesn't just look at three-pointers and what and Danny's dribbling off his legs and stuff like that. Pop looks at defense. That's the reason why he plays Danny. That's why he gives him minutes. He wants a really good wing out there to be right next to Kawhi, so that way when they switch on um, different pick-and-roll schemes, Danny's that next guy guarding those elite players out on the offensive end. So Pop definitely sees a lot, a lot of Danny's minutes come because Pop um, really, really um, emphasizes the defensive end of the floor. And as far as lineup changes, you know, like you mentioned, John, he'll play the younger guys in the in the year, and maybe they'll throw they'll throw they lose games because of that. But it's going to be beneficial because you saw what happened, you know, in the in the playoffs. There's there's Jonathan Simmons stepping up in the playoffs. There's uh, Dejounte Murray just getting thrown into the fire when Tony got hurt, and he was okay against some of those games against Houston. Uh, and then also, I mean, if there's any critique with Pop for me, it, it might just be like adapting to the small ball era. You know, I, I, from the first game, I would like to see Rudy Gay start at the four and LaMarcus at the five and kind of play that warriors East style of basketball and, and calf style of basketball. But, you know, the guys want five rings for a reason. And we're, we're, we, I don't know if where's the people to, to question them on that. Yeah, I, my, my biggest gripe with Pop is sometimes not letting these younger, more athletic guys get more run early. And that was a big problem with George Hill, his rookie season here when, you know, the Spurs are playing the Mavericks in the playoffs. But, you know, I'm not going to question a guy with five championship rings who turns out 51 seasons like they're nothing. I mean, at, at some point, you just have to realize this is how he runs his team. And it's beneficial long term to everyone. You know, if they if the Spurs realize, OK, this guy isn't performing well, even in garbage time, he, they got to cut their losses. Yeah, no, no. Good, good point there. Moving on to our 10th question. It's from at Mr. Durrell, 1980. He asked, um, can you see DeJounte Murray as the starter for the entire season? Uh, sure, yeah. In some alternate universe, maybe. Um, I, I feel like Murray's got plenty of time to develop into a starting point guard. And unless Tony has some kind of setback with his rehab, you know, then sure. But I feel like Patty's already been primed for that position. And maybe if they see enough in Murray where they can trust him in small spurts to be a starter, then great. But I don't see Murray starting the entire season. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in that camp as well. I just feel like unless he's excelling, you know, right from the get-go and, and him and Kawhi build this really good um, chemistry and this one-two punch or something like that, then I, I just – I doubt that's going to happen in this year. Maybe in the future it could. Uh, but I don't see that happening. I think by the time, um, you know, if, if he's – Tony will eventually probably get that starting job back um, sh- should he come back healthy down the stretch of the season. Okay, John, our last Twitter question comes from at Keystaster. Um, they ask, um, rumor out of Philly, they're shopping Jaleel Okafor. Since San Antonio is light up front, do you see any trades that make sense? A guard for reclamation project? Um, 
I don't. What, what's Okafor's contract situation? I don't know it off the. Top. It's about five million. I looked it up for this for this current season. I, I can't imagine the Spurs making a run at him because I don't know how they would <laughs> money wise how it would work out. Money wise, here's the, here's like the closest thing I can come up with: Kyle Anderson, Davis Bertans, Bryn Forbes. Yeah, I don't think the Spurs want to sacrifice three key role players at this point on this roster just for Jaleel Okafor. Um, I I do believe honestly, and this isn't me being like a Kyle Anderson hater or anything. But Kyle Anderson's a very movable contract and a movable piece, but I don't think it would be anything for anything substantial. Obviously, it would maybe be like in case of an injury or you know some kind of fill in on the front court. But Kyle has proven that he can play the four pretty well. Pop ran him at the two also in in you know desperate situations. So I, I think this team is standing pat unless Lamarcus is the big fish that ends up getting shipped out because he's unhappy or you get something you know, solid in return for Danny Green, this team isn't really going to make any trades. They're built the way they are. And, you know, if their goal is going to be 50 wins in a second round exit, then that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. I just don't think that this trade will make any type of sense for, for a guy like Okafor. One, because the other personnel in the front court where you have, um, you know, you already have Powell who, who you know, he's kind of a defensive liability. Okafor is not a great defender as well. Then with the, with the Okafor is more of a post-up player. And you already have Lamarcus trying to get on the block who, who you know, that kind of cramps the, the offense and the spacing a little bit. And then trying to get another player like that. And then, of course, you know, like, like we mentioned at the beginning, they're very thin in the front court. And Anderson and Bertans are definitely two guys that are going to probably play a lot of small ball for. And and you need those guys on the roster. You can't just get rid of them because Okafor is not capable of playing small ball four. So, so yeah, I just don't think that that's going to come to light with the Spurs. You know, uh, Brett Brown was the guy. I think that was um, one of the Sixers um, beat writers who um, had a had the information where where Brett Brown was saying they're just shopping him. They're just ch- um, taking you know flyers on who, who's looking at him. You know, what kind of value does he have out on the market? Okay, so thank you, SpursCast fans, for um, sending us those Twitter questions. A lot of them. Th- thank you, though. Hashtag SpursCast. And at, at Andrew Zimmel, I do want to apologize. I know I said, I said she, but just I was trying to say they for everyone just because, you know, some of these, I don't know if they're, they're a guy or a girl on the other end of these accounts with these, with these names. That- it's probably Kevin Durant. We can, we can go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> um, just a quick, a few promotions before we, before John and I head out, um, please make sure that you're following. If you're on Twitter, follow at Duncan relief, please help Tim Duncan. Um, you know, as they try to help restore the Virgin islands after they're taking these, these really um, bad times right now against uh, hurricane Irma first. And now hurricane Maria's um, setting on them as well. So make sure you're following at Duncan relief so you can help um, um, donate, you know, whether it's supplies or money or, or just even your time with volunteer efforts. Um, ch- check out the at Duncan relief Twitter handle. Um, if you want to, again, on the next episode, I don't know who, who I'll have, on, who I will have on me with me at the um, next Spurs cast, but if you want to send, send us a question, it'll be send your questions to hashtag Spurs cast on Twitter. Be sure to follow project Spurs.com. Uh, ben, as I mentioned, Ben's writing a weekly series where he's looking at players that the Spurs kind of aren't going to have a, a chance at in the lottery, but then he's going to start going into his, uh, his normal um, draft proje- projections of players out, out in college coming up. Um, Check out AnalyzingTheLead.com. I have the latest um, NBA roster updates. And then also check out SpursOn6.com. They just got a new um, makeover on, on their website. So, John, can you t- tell the readers about Spurs on 6 what you'll have coming up this season? Yeah, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of game coverage, like always. But we're also going to take a look at the two-way contracts. You've got Matt Costello and Darren Hilliard that are going to be really interesting. Uh, Jerron Blossom game. There, there's a lot of talent in Austin. And, you know, with Blake Ahern, who knows what's going to happen? It's, it's kind of a wild-card situation where... You know, every season you knew what you were kind of getting out of the Austin Spurs. You know, whoever was signed in training camp would show up. You'd get, you know, Livio Giancharos, Ryan Archie Diacano. 
and Ken McDonald was a solid coach. Now this is kind of a weird season, but with the expansion and everything, you know, it's anyone's game. So it'll be it'll be fun to cover the G League, especially now with you know they're getting a lot more exposure and the talent is tremendous at the at the lower level. You know, these guys are they're hungry and they're ready and they're willing. So uh, we'll have that. We've got me and Michael DeLeon, Steven Anderson, uh, Jeff Serta. We've got everything you need. If you want to keep up with the Austin Spurs, and hey, if you want to come up and make the drive up I-35, I know for me it's up 290 from Houston, So, but if y'all want to come to a game and see us right there at the bottom, say hi, and you know, I, I won't buy you a beer or anything, but I'll be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just also, just from a, from like, if, if you're like, if you're like me, it's like, like a really basketball nerd wants to know the X's and O's, you should go check out Austin games. I mean, they, they, they run a lot of what the Spurs, the same principles, their terminology, their sets. So if you want to kind of see what happens in San Antonio, you can get a little more um, detailed version with the Austin Spurs. Um, John, also let, let the Spurs cast listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and also Spurs on sixth. They can find me on Twitter at by John Diaz, B Y J O H. H N D I A Z uh, at Spurs on sixth uh, spell out sixth S I X T H. Uh, and I don't know if you want to tease or not. We've got the project Spurs network, Instagram and Twitter out there, which is just project Spurs net. If they want to go follow us there. And I believe on Facebook project Spurs net as well. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Okay. Yes. Th- thank you um, for, for reminding me of that. Yes. Do, do check out, um, follow those accounts, the, the Facebook and the uh, Twitter account for, for at project Spurs net. And we'll have some more information on that coming up in, in, in the next, um, in the, in the next coming days and weeks. Um, also uh, Spurs cast listeners. Lastly, can you please, um, if you have the chance, if you have the time, can you please rate and review on iTunes, the Spurs cast? Um, this is now my fourth episode recording. Uh, I just want to see how, how, how I'm doing as far as like your critique, you know, positive or negative. Just want to see how it's going. You know, I've, I've had Colin on, I've had Ben, I've had John now I've had to do a, one solo episode, but I do want to see, you know, do you like the way this is going, the format, you know, what, what else can we improve on? So if you can leave us a rating and review it on iTunes, So for John Diaz, I am Paul Garcia. We both represent ProjectSpurs.com. Have a great day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.